Last Sunday morning, I was at church at the Lee site heading towards the auditorium and I saw my mum en route. She was talking to another lady and then suddenly my mum points at me. The lady turns her head and her jaw drops to the floor. I'm thinking, what is going on here? Turns out that this lady hasn't seen me for over 30 years since I was a young skinny lad with a mop of blonde hair and now she sees this old bald man with a beard and says, what's happened here? It's the classic before and after story. And this morning we're going to look at two moments in the life of one man, a before moment and an after moment. And we're going to learn from that what happened to this man. So we're going to be starting in Genesis chapter 26, sorry, Matthew chapter 26. So you might want to put your finger in the Bible at Matthew 26. And then we're going to also look at Acts chapter 4. So you may want to mark that as well. So scene one, Matthew chapter 26, starting from verse 69. Now Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard and a servant girl came up to him and said, you also were with Jesus the Galilean. But he denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you mean. And when he went outside to the entrance, another servant girl saw him, and she said to the bystanders, This man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again, he denied it with an oath. I do not know the man. After a little while, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, Certainly you too are one of them. Your accent betrays you. Then he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed and Peter remembered the saying of Jesus, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Scene one. Fast forward two months and we have scene two. Acts chapter four, starting from verse seven. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we're being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Verse 12, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realised that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach in at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. Wow. Two different scenarios, same person, two months apart. Yet the, the responses and the reactions and the demeanour of Peter couldn't be more different. In the first one, we see a man who is fearful, who is cowardly, who is cowering in a corner and who is saying, I do not know the man that you're talking about. He, he doesn't want to be killed. 
And yet in the second scene, we see Peter full of boldness and courage declaring, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. What has happened to Peter in the intervening moments for that change of mindset to take place? We'll look at that in a moment. About 20 years ago, I was at Stonelea Bible Week. Some of you may remember it, where thousands used to gather every year. And uh, one morning I was in the main meeting and uh, sat down and the guy at the front told us that we all had 10 pound notes under our chairs. And I was like, nah, this can't be true. So I checked under my chair and looked and sure enough, there it was, a 10 pound note. And I looked around the room and everyone was like, oh, aghast, wow, I could go and buy a pizza. And he said, there's no catch, this is yours. But he said, I'm gonna issue with a, you with a challenge. He called it the 1010 challenge. I'm gonna challenge you to multiply this 10 pound note tenfold. And the deal is, if you can do that, then you can keep your 10 pound note and the rest of it goes to uh, what was a missionary organization which was reaching people for the lost. Now I was excited and I took my 10 pound note, I was leading a youth group at the time, I gathered the youth leaders and I said, let's put our 10 pound notes together, we'll have 50 quid and let's do something, what should we do? We gathered the young people and we brainstormed and thought, what can we do? And in the end, we, we came up with the idea of a weekend. And on the Saturday night, uh, we said to the church, you're invited to come for a meal. And we asked them to bring their friends who weren't believers. And we had a big crowd of people come and they gathered in the basement and we had an art gallery with all of the young people's work on the wall. And we were selling the work and believe it or not, some people actually bought the pictures. You know, some of them were pretty rubbish. I think they felt sorry for them, but they did. They bought the pictures. And then we went upstairs and we had a three course meal, which the young people served. And everyone had the most fantastic time and the young people were buzzing. And not only that, but the following day after church, we did what we called a talent auction. And we got young people to stand up the front after the meeting was over and just declare what they were good at. So some of them, uh, they might have been good at computers. And so they said, I'll offer you a couple of hours and I'll teach you everything I know. Or some were good at DIY, you know, I'll put up a shelf for you. Or good at mowing the lawn or, or washing a car, I'll give you three hours to do that. And some even were good at art. I'll do a bespoke picture for you. And so people bid on all of these talents and they paid over the odds. And by the end of the evening, we were thoroughly exhausted, but totally buzzing. And we looked at the money we'd raised and we'd smashed the tenfold target. We'd actually raised over 800 pounds from 50 quid to start with. Wow. And what it did with, with the young people was amazing. It suddenly changed their mindset from thinking, oh yeah, I've got a tenner here, I could just spend it on myself and do my own thing. Suddenly their eyes were open, oh, I can impact the people in our church congregation, but not only that, the people beyond the church congregation. And it, but even better still, the money that we've raised is going to an organization which is gonna see lost people saved. Their mindset was blown and totally changed. And we can either have a multiplication mindset, a mindset which looks beyond ourselves to the needs around us, or we can have a maintenance mindset. Peter, before the resurrection, had a maintenance mindset. How am I gonna get by? How am I gonna survive? And quite often, if we're honest, life is like that. We just, we might have been dealt a bad hand in life, or maybe we've got an illness or a bereavement, or it's a struggle and we're just getting by and just maintaining. But actually God wants us to have a multiplication mindset, one that sees what could happen beyond just ourselves. 
And that's exactly what Jesus does in Matthew 28 when he gathers the disciples after he'd been raised from the dead and he issues them with what we call the Great Commission. And interestingly, he doesn't issue it to a confident bunch of people, but it says when the people saw him, some worshipped, but some doubted. They were broken. And he didn't wait and just go, well, uh, let's leave it a couple of years. You've obviously been through a rough time. Let's pastor you and make you feel better. Actually, he said, no, 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 to a broken people, people like us. He issued them this statement, which is all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them everything I've commanded you, and lo, I am with you even to the end of the age. What was Jesus doing there? He was sharing his heart, his mindset with them. And his mindset is one of love for the one, yes. So he goes, he leaves the 99 to go after the one, parable of the lost sheep. He loves us individually, he knows us inside out but he is passionate about the multitudes. He's passionate about the many. In 2 Peter 3, we learn that Jesus says that he's not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. You see, God has this longing for his glory, his fame to be made known and many to come into his kingdom. And it's right through scripture. You see it even right at the start of the Bible. What was the first command? I bet you many of us will say, do not eat of that fruit or you will surely die. We think of commands as restrictive, don't we? And that, surely that was the first command of the Bible. But no, the first command of the Bible was one which was wide and broad. It was be fruitful and multiply. And it's a command repeated again and again from Adam and Eve to Noah. He was issued with exactly the same command, be fruitful and multiply. And then through Abraham, who was told, I will surely bless you and multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and the sand that is on the seashore. And again, even with Jacob and Isaac and then Joseph and Moses, you see this theme repeated again and again and again, go and multiply not just physically, biologically, but also in terms of your crops and everything and people as well, because ultimately God is after people. And then we see the Great Commission that I've just mentioned, God states we need to multiply. And then right at the end of the Bible in Revelation 7, we see it says, and then I looked and saw a multitude before the throne from every nation, tribe and tongue, worshiping the King of Kings. People, that is our future. You know, often we can look at the church and think, oh, it's on the wane, it's on the decline. Young people are showing less interest. We believe the media that within a couple of generations, it's all gonna be wiped out. But no, the truth is that there will be a multitude at the end of time of people declaring God. And Jesus himself, we see Jesus teaching on it many times. You know, he, the parable of the sower, when the good seed falls on the good soil, it multiplies and produces a crop 160 and 30 times what was sown. The parable of the talents, where people are given money and told, go and, you know, look after it. And the one who gets one talent, he's fearful, isn't he? He's, he's anxious. He's got a maintenance mindset. I'll, I'll just maintain. I'll just bury it. I'll keep it there because the master will be pleased that I haven't lost it. He was fearful he might lose it, but he brings it out and the master isn't pleased. The master says, you should have done what the other guys did, the five talents and two talents. They, they multiplied it. They took it and they multiplied it. And do you know what he said? They were faithful with what they were given. 
And God wants us to be faithful with what we're given. And not only did Jesus teach it, but he displayed it in the parable, sorry, in the story of the feeding of the 5,000. It's interesting, just before that miracle, we see the disciples displaying a maintenance mindset. They're like, we've had a long, busy day. You know, Jesus, you, your cousin died at the start of the day, John the Baptist, and you, were, you went off and you were just grieving and people followed you and you showed them compassion and you healed their sick and you taught them. It's the end of the day. We've had a good long day. Surely let's let the people go home. They can sort themselves out maintenance mindset let's just let them get on with it but Jesus says no 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 no. you feed them and then they find you know five loaves and two fish from this young lad and and they go this is this is all we got this is all we got again maintenance mindset this is all we have and Jesus is wanting to show them a multiplication mindset so he says bring it to me and we know the rest don't we and we can often get down on ourselves can't we we can often think, oh, I've just got a maintenance mindset. It's just the way I've always been. You know, I feel a bit fearful of sharing my faith. I don't want to look stupid in front of people. I don't want, you know, people to make fun of me and that kind of thing. And actually, I'm having a really hard time. I just need to get through life. But God wants you to thrive. So how do we get this multiplication mindset? Well, in each of those examples I've just said, there are some principles that we can garner. The first one is this. Be faithful with what you have. Be faithful with what you have. You see, there was this young lad and all he had was some fish and some bread. And you know what he did? He, he didn't do what the disciples did and just, oh, forget it. He, he said, this is all I've got. I don't know how you're going to feed 5,000, but here it is. I want you to use it. Be faithful. Even if you've got something very small, be faithful with the little that you have. The parable of the talents. You know, you've, got a, you've been given something. Be faithful with it, steward it well, and God will bring the rest. He will multiply. My mum the other day uh, was out and about and I got a text from a lady called Pat at the Lee site. And she said to me, oh, I bumped into your mum the other day. She didn't quite realise who I was, but we got chatting and she was really friendly. And then she left. And actually I was with a friend of mine who's not a believer. And my friend was struck by this woman who came and was really friendly and smiling. We're talking about church so wonderfully. And my friend started asking questions about faith and they had this wonderful conversation. She said, tell your mum that she made a difference. And I just thought that was an amazing story. My mum, she's a lovely person, my mum. You know, I've talked about her already. You know, I'm obsessed with my mum. She's a wonderful person. But she, what she does is she just will talk to anyone. And what, 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 what is it that you've got that maybe you can give and allow God to multiply? Secondly, believe that God is a God of abundance. You know, sometimes we can kind of domesticate God, can't we? It's almost like he's a genie in a bottle, you know, that we rub the bottle every now and again because we need something, we call him to meet our needs. But actually, God is far and above and beyond anything we can imagine. When God enters the equation, the potential is limitless. Me on my own, it's not very much. But me multiplied by God equals infinite potential. And so when we bring what we have to this awesome God, he can do so much more. Paul in Ephesians 3.20 says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us. What a powerful passage. God is far bigger, far more powerful than we could even conceive or dream. 
And let's have Paul's mindset. Yes, that's who you are, God. You are this awesome God. Not only that, but your power works within me. You catch us up in the miracle. The, the disciples were caught up in the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. Uh, uh, the Bible doesn't say it, but I imagine when Jesus multiplies it, you kind of think, when did the multiplication happen? Did it happen in Jesus' hand? Or did it happen partly in his hands? But then he gave it to the disciples and it continued to multiply. They were caught up in the miracle. And so God catches us up. His power is at work in us to do abundantly more than we could ask or imagine. And thirdly, be ready to sacrifice. You see, being a Christian isn't all about us. It's not like uh, a consumer mentality of what can I do? How can I be blessed this morning? It's good. We, we are blessed in worship, but ultimately we are called to sacrifice. We're called to take up our cross and follow him. We're called to follow the narrow way. We're called to serve other people. We're called to sacrifice. And it says in the Bible in John 12, 24, truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. And I want to challenge us this morning. Do you have a mindset which is just, it's about me, maintenance. It's about what can I get? How can I be fulfilled? How can I be blessed? Or do you have a mindset of actually, let me let these things die. This thing that I'm obsessed with, which takes up all my time, uh, let me let it die. Because when we let these things die and let Jesus be supreme, then that's when the multiplication comes. So be faithful with what you have. Believe that God is a God of abundance and be ready to sacrifice. Because, you know, God changed the mindset of these disciples, changed their hearts and minds. After Peter's first sermon, 3,000 were added. After Peter preached that message that we learned of at the beginning in Acts chapter 4, 5,000 men were saved. So that's just men. That would have been like 10, 15,000 people. And then it goes on and on. The word multiplication is used loads of times through Acts where it talks about God's word being multiplied, people being multiplied, churches being multiplied. Multiplication is there in the heart of the disciples and they are changed to the point where at the end of the Gospel of Acts, when Paul is imprisoned, it's estimated that there were over 40 churches that had been planted in less than 30 years by these people. And do you know what? It's not about the big evangelist. Sometimes we can think, well, it was all right for them, the disciples, they were like superhumans, you know, there was something different about them. When I think of the disciples, I often think that, you know, they, they were just different to us. It doesn't apply today, but actually it does because they were ordinary people used by an extraordinary God. And so are we. It's not about the Billy Grahams. You know, sometimes we think, you know, do you remember Billy Graham? I remember 1989, I was a youngster going to Wembley Stadium, seeing these people come forward. I want you to imagine for a moment, maybe imagine you're Billy Graham. Uh, you probably, you probably think, ah, oh, what are you talking about? But imagine you are, you're a big evangelist and you get a stadium, 100,000, and you fill it and 20% become Christians, 20,000 saved at the end of one night. It's a good night's work, isn't it? Now imagine you had the energy to do that every single night for a year, and you filled this stadium, 100,000, 20% saved every single day for a year. How many people would be saved by the end of the year? I can see you totting it all up now. Let me give you the answer, it'd be over 7 million, 7 million, 300 and something, 1,000 people. Now you'd be pretty impressed with that. Wow, look at, look at my year. I've seen 7 million people saved. Whoa. 
But then if I said, how long would it take you to reach the whole world with the gospel and see the whole world save eight, eight billion people doing the mass again? Let me tell you, it'd take over a thousand years, 1,095 years. That would be a long old time, wouldn't it, to be doing that every single night. But actually there is another way and it's reaching the few to reach the many. You say, you see, if I spoke to one person and saw one person become a Christian and then taught them all that Jesus had taught me and that they became a disciple-making disciple and they saw someone saved, you know, by the end of the year, there'll be two of us. Then by the end of the next year, there'll be four of us. And it seems quite a slow thing. But actually, how long do you think it would take to reach 8 billion people? 34 years. Amazing, isn't it? Now, obviously, maths is different to reality. You know, in life, there's all sorts going on. People are hard to reach. We go through crises in our lives. You know, it's not as straightforward as that. But the principle is this. Let's just reach the one, reach the few in order to reach the many. That's the power of multiplication. And and the early church, you know, they went from a body of just, you know, a a few hundred people And by 300 AD, there were over 6 million Christians, ardent followers of Jesus Christ. 40% per decade increase. God can do it. I'm privileged. I love being part of a movement of churches which believes in the masses, the multitudes of seeing many saved. We're part of a movement called New Frontiers. Some of you are more aware of it than others. Uh, We put on that, they used to put on the Bible week that I mentioned before at the beginning. And actually that started off in the late 60s with a small group of people in someone's front room. It got a bit too big. They had to knock through the wall between the room and the the hallway to accommodate more people. And then it grew and grew from there, from small house churches to churches developing. And then today there are over 2,000 churches in well over 70 nations of the world. Isn't that amazing? In like 50, 60 years that we can see that kind of multiplication. And I used to love the strap line of the New Frontiers conferences. We can do more together than we can apart. And I remember at the last Stonely Bible Week in 2001, Terry issued this thing saying, you know, we're spending all our time on this Bible Week, but actually I want us to go. Let's all go and multiply. And from that point on, New Frontiers went from about 800 churches to around 2,000, trebled in size in the space of 10 or so years. We're part of a movement which believes in multiplication. We're part of a church, aren't we, that believes in multiplication? Because we're a lovely church, aren't we? People comment on how friendly and warm it is. People comment on the lovely worship. But actually, as I said, it's not about us. And at the heart of King's Church is the word mission. And we are looking to see many saved. And sometimes, you know, we talk a lot about numbers and sometimes people's backs get put up. Why are they talking about the numbers? But genuinely, we are not concerned about having a big church but we're concerned about many people hearing the gospel and being saved. And year after year, for 20 plus years, we've run Alpha every term. And across all of those years, we've seen hundreds of people come to know Christ. Now, sometimes when we're a part of a church called Kings, we we think, oh, what can I contribute? It all seems to happen. You know, people do the stuff. What have I got to bring? But actually what you bring is so important. And we as individuals, we, need, we are called to multiply. We are called to bring what we have. If we go back to our first passage in Acts chapter four, and we look at Peter, you know, he was this fragile, frail, insecure man who wanted to, who fled, left Jesus along with the rest of the disciples, they fled. 
when the hard times came and yet he was changed. What happened to him? Well, we see this very clearly in verse 13 of Acts 4. It says, when they saw the courage of Peter and John, they realised they were unschooled, ordinary men. They were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. They'd been with Jesus. Now they'd seen him rise from the dead. And we think, well, if that was me, if I'd literally seen it, I would be wanting to tell the world. And actually, this is one of the greatest proofs that Jesus rose from the dead, that these scared, terrified men became these bold proclaimers of the gospel. And you think, yeah, we haven't got that advantage. But actually, when, Pete, when um, Thomas saw Jesus and believed, he said, you've seen and believed, but blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed, and that's us. We, we believe that Jesus rose from the dead and there is power in his resurrection. And because of that, because of that, we can know him. We need to, like Peter, be with Jesus, spend time with him. And then it says that Peter, filled with the Spirit, said to him. He was filled with the Spirit. He spent time with Jesus and he was filled with the Spirit. And we too need to be filled with the Spirit. That's how we know Jesus, when we're filled with his Spirit. Ultimately, God wants to multiply many. He wants to see many saved so that his glory fills the earth. But do you know why? It's not because he wants a massive church and loads of people uh, walking around as Christians, but he wants people to experience the multiplication of his blessings. You know, in his word, it says in 1, 2 Peter 1, 2, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. God wants us to experience his multiplied blessings. He is a God who is full and he wants us to experience that. In John 1.16 it says, for from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. Grace upon grace. Ultimately God wants as many people to know what it is to experience his multiplied blessings, his grace, his peace, the reality of who he is. That is what God's about. Now, what about you? Which Peter are you? Which mindset do you have? Do you have a maintenance mindset or a multiplication mindset? Because God wants you to know what it is to know his heart and his longing for people so that we can all be part of his kingdom and see many people reached for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that you choose weak people like us to extend your kingdom. We do thank you that the way that you reach people is through using people like us to reach the few, to reach the few in order to reach the many. And Lord Jesus, I thank you for our church. I thank you for all that you're doing among us. Lord, I thank you that, Lord, we're going to be moving soon from, you know, six meetings on a Sunday to seven. At Lee, we're about to multiply again. And Lord, I pray, Lord, that as we multiply again, that you would move in power and that you would be upon us at the Lee site, that we might see many people gathered to you and that we might see many people saved. And as we create space for people, that lives would be changed Lord God, we pray for it, for us as a church, that we would grow even more than we have done, going from a, you know, a church of about 150 to a church of now 15, 1600. We want to see more, God. We want to see more lives changed. 
And so I pray, would you bless us? Would you be upon us? Would you use us for your kingdom in Jesus' name? Amen.